by definition, we work on problems that you don't know for sure whether or not you can solve. You're always walking a little bit in the dark towards the edge of the cliff. And one of the key jobs of a choreographer is to continue to believe when all reasonable sources of evidence are now gone. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of Chaos and Rocket Fuel, the Future of Work podcast. This is the podcast that continues to look at every aspect of work in the future. It's brought to you by Wanda and Pattern, and I'm your host, Doug Folks. Along with me is my co-host, Claire Haydar. Claire is the CEO at Wanda. Claire, we're busy having a very interesting chat with Hannah Reichardt and Dan McClure about choreographers. So Claire, just bring us up to speed on what a choreographer is, please, and um, let's see how we finish off this conversation with Hannah and Dan. Doug, before I dive into that and give us a bit of a recap of segment one and two and an overview of the segment three, I, I really do want to add that I think that the general audience who is listening to this podcast will really be able to relate to this specific, um, not just this episode, but this whole series around this role of choreographer that Dan and Hannah are actually calling out. You know, you and I have some insights into our audience. We know who's listening. We know what the typical profile is of, of people listening to this podcast. And I think a lot of them are choreographers. So if you haven't listened to segment one and segment two, please do take a leap of faith and listen to them because I think you'll learn a lot at just pure basic personal level about a role that you may likely be fulfilling in a company right now, but it actually hasn't been named and labeled as such. So segment one, we go back to the basic definitions. Who are choreographers? Why do they exist in companies? Why have they not been labeled as such to date? What does this role look like? In segment two, we go into the really practical applications of it. How do I identify the choreographers that are there? How do I incentivize these people? How do I make sure that we're really maximizing, you know, the ROI to the company? And where do we go from yet? Like, what's the future projection of where this role is headed? And in this section today, we're actually taking a step back and going back to Hannah and Dan themselves and looking at the book that they've written about this. And what I'd like to specifically call out here is Hannah and Dan have actually um, generously said to us that they will be sharing a number of different resources with us, things such as job specs that outline this role, etc. So really practical things that HR executives and other executive team members can really use, you know, take and use in their organizations to maximize this role. Excellent. I am looking forward to hearing how Hannah and Dan sum up this conversation with a deeper look into their book. Your guys' book. There's so much that we can talk about here, but I want to come at it a, bit, a little bit from a different angle. So tell us about the structure. And the reason why I'm asking that question is because I believe the way authors choose to lay out chapters um, gives us insight into the main message that you're wanting to drive home. So share a little bit with us about that, starting with the title and then moving into the structure. So let me start by being very choreographer and say, <laughs> that's an interesting system to look at, but let's look at a bigger system. I love it, Dad. So go. <laughs> I'm working on a book with Jenny Wild, who's our other partner in choreographer crime here. And that is one of the key components of things that we've seen 
that need to be brought together. But there's actually a bigger problem. When you look at a space like an entirely new role in innovation, there are multiple things that need to be put in place for it to become a profession that somebody could claim. So you need purpose. You need to be able to explain why this role matters and what important problems you're going to address. You need practice. You need to be able to explain how you actually do this job. And then you need a position. So you actually need somebody to craft a job for you and put a role in place, et cetera. That purpose, practice, and position for newly emerging fields, none of those things exist. And so what happens is you get a real scattershot thing. You know, somebody writes a little bit about, you know, a purpose issue and somebody else writes a little bit about a practice piece. For this really to work as a profession, we need good coverage on all three of those, and we need to knit those together. And so that's the bigger challenge that Hannah, Jenny, and I are working with. And the book is one part of that. So in addition to the book, we're looking at courses and tools and storytelling through podcasts, et cetera. But the real goal is to create that whole solution. Now, to answer your earlier question about the book, So the book is really designed to provide a first introduction into those first two pieces. What's the purpose and need of a choreographer and what's the practice that supports them? And because this is all about big picture thinking and tying things together, what we wanted to do was really paint the entire picture of how this knits together rather than any one piece. And so our first part, we walk through what's the nature of the problem, why this type of innovation is needed, why the old innovation doesn't work, and then what are the challenges to making it work? And so that should allow a choreographer to go into a job interview and say, hey, this is why you need me, you know? And I can't tell you the number of job interviews I've gone into, and they say, what do you do? And then I stumble over my words for half an hour. And so this is supposed to be essentially the business case that we could take to the market and say, this is, this is what we do. And then the second half of the book is how we do it. Dan and Hannah, I'm so glad that you pulled a choreographer on me and spun that question around because, you know, in talking to you guys today and it emerged so strongly in this conversation that we've had today as well is that you are essentially where UX and UI design was in the early 2000s. You know what I mean? And I consider one of those forerunners like yourselves who actually named it to be Steve Krug when he wrote his book, Don't Make Me Think Stupid. And at the time that he released that book, he simplified something that everybody was feeling and sensing, but didn't quite know how to put their finger on it. And what he did so elegantly and eloquently was he put it into an illustration. You know what I mean? That just became this like simple mantra. And he certainly isn't the only one, but pretty much from his book, onwards being released, the whole field of UI and UX actually became a thing, you know, and people did what you guys are doing right now, which is 
formalized it and put frameworks into place. And, you know, that's where we now today have human-centered design principles that people go back to and, and lean on, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm delighted to hear that you guys are taking it further than just a book and actually building out those frameworks for companies to use. Next question that I want you guys to dive into there for us is, can you share, Dan, starting with you, three lessons that you've learned while writing this? And and what I'd really like you to hone in on, which I know is something that Doug wants to ask you, so you can combine the two together, is not just lessons that were kind of there at the surface level, but what are things that really surprised you and were kind of like, ha, you know, didn't think of that? You know, there's a sort of movie trope that, you know, a couple living together and you think you know your partner and you've gone, you know, 20 years together. And then all of a sudden there's this revelation of new depths, the new dimensions that you never expected were there. I think when you're dealing with something like a complex space that you're trying to explain, it's like having that partner that you've lived with 20 years and you think you fully know And then you write it out and, oh my gosh, there's something, usually a lot of somethings that either the pieces don't fit together, you've got a gap, there's, you know, you know a complex problem much less well than you think you do. And I think that's been both for writing the book, but also maybe as a general principle of choreographer's work. Even if you come in thinking, I've got this covered, I know this stuff. When you start getting into the complexity of things, there's always more pieces there that you need to dive into and play with. And filling in those pieces and getting those right, that's been, I would say, the biggest unexpected challenge of trying to actually write down all the things we're working on. And has it not forced you, but has it enabled you to change your thoughts about exactly what a choreographer is and does? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> Good, which means that you're both being true choreographers, which is great to hear. <laughs> I was going to add one nice thing that I think we would like to build out in terms of that more system approach to the problem space that choreographers are working in is some kind of community actually it's where choreographers can connect with one another and share ideas because you know a we know that choreographers feed off that you know and feed off that uh, that interjection of new fresh ways of seeing a problem fresh ideas but b you know some of this work is tough you know it's you're dealing with the gnarly most tricky problems out there and um you know you need some support to do that and um, i think a community of choreographers would be a brilliantly necessary thing. I just want to say I couldn't agree more with what Hannah is saying there because something as simple as I experimented with this in the company today and it yielded a very positive result, you know, try these sequences of steps. And the next day I experimented with this and it backfired really badly. Do not do this. You know what I mean? Just just being able to have that simple conversation with a group of other choreographers would be so useful in these early stages. You know, one of the things that's interesting about choreography is our approach to evidence and proof. By definition, we work on problems that you don't know for sure whether or not you can solve. 
you're always walking a little bit in the dark towards the edge of the cliff. And one of the key jobs of a choreographer is to continue to believe when all reasonable sources of evidence are now gone. And, you know, this, you know, having faith in the absence of evidence is something that having another choreographer to talk to can be really good because you need somebody else who is as foolish and unreasonable about what the world could be as you to ha- to continue forward with that stuff. I was thinking actually that maybe that's when Dan and I started working together. That was the big value for me. Not only Dan's ideas, when I was at the time working on a complicated humanitarian problem space to do with transitioning the delivery of aid from stuff, you know, in-kind goods to cash assistance in crises and um, started working with Dan. And I think it was that sense of, I know I'm onto something, but I can't quite prove that it's going to work. And, you know, working with Dan was able to give me such a lot of confidence that there was not only something intuitively there, but really systemically it made sense. So it was worth the perseverance, you know, it was worth trying to find a solution, even though it wasn't like right in front of us at the time. Um, so that, you know, working with another choreographer, you know, between us was just enormously powerful for the complex work I was doing at the time. Generally, we have a couple of just sort of short question and answers at the end, um, just to sort of spice it up a bit. So I'm just, this is for, these are for both of you. Um, I've got four quick questions. Why are the two of you working together? I think the easy answer to that is we're really kindred spirits. You know, we're not necessarily obviously kindred spirits, but we were working in completely different sectors at the time when we started working together. But Dan enabled to see what I was, that I couldn't use the right language to identify it. You know, when he when we started talking about choreographers, it was such a big aha moment for me. And I have loved every conversation I've had with Dan ever since. And that was about five years ago. You know, there are few more exciting things than finding somebody who can go thrash about in a big complex problem with you. And it is, I mean, it's why I love working with Hannah, but it's why I love working with other choreographers too. And just finding somebody who can do that with you and you're not having to fake who you are and you're not having to pull back. Ha, man, it's a rush. You've actually answered the next two questions. So I'm going to basically, I think, finish it unless, Claire, you've got something quickly. I'm just going to ask you, are there any sub-archetypes of choreographers or are you a choreographer or not? No, actually, so 20 years ago, before we really had concepts around the choreographer stuff and we were really just beginning to try to figure out what this was all about, Um I was working in the IT industry and we were dealing with the disruption of the web and old industries like automotive and sort of this intersection of big new technology things and automotive industry. And a group of us choreographers began to get together. But what we found was there was two versions of us. One version of us really liked the big ideas. We were always at the whiteboard, like drawing out things with circles and arrows and, you know, making a big picture of how the world could fit together. And then there was a group of us that were on the phone to India, to, you know, Virginia, whatever, saying, all right, now how do I make this work? And so what we 
came up with the general term was there are choreographer visionaries and there are choreographer action heroes. And they have a really great symbiotic relationship, but there's also a certain amount of, you know, the visionary looks at the action hero and says, boy, I'm glad I don't have to make all that stuff work. And the action hero is saying, well, at least I don't have to deal with all that abstract stuff. And so pairing up these two types of big picture cross-cutting thinkers is really powerful. And are you two one in either camp? Are you the big picture? I think I'm probably more of an action hero. Yeah, I'm definitely a visionary. Um, so, But I would say Jenny, Hannah, and I are all quite capable of playing across the line a bit. But, you know, my, my, my definite side is the visionary stuff. Cool. Amazing. Guys, this is, yeah. I've got no more questions. So. <laughs> I've got a hundred more questions, but we're going to have to pause them for today. So Hannah, Dan, um, honestly, this was just a great conversation. Can't wait to get this one out. Well, it's been great fun. Yeah, this was lovely. Really good to speak to you both. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yes, fantastic from, from my side. And that is the end of episode 91 and our in-depth look at the new role in business, the choreographer. If you found this podcast of value, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. You can catch us on Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts or on Wonders website, wndyr.com. And from Claire and myself, bye for now.